On episode 247 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how to prepare for intense practices, develop consistency, and improve your serve with Coach Mike Digby. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. If you feel like you watch too many poachable balls whiz by you and you're like, ugh, I should have poached on that one, then you should check out the doubles playbook because inside there are 48 plays from Martina Navratilova and the Bryan brothers that show you how to set up easy put-away volleys and overheads. If you look at other sports, teams run plays. Football teams run plays to score touchdowns, soccer teams run plays to score goals, and basketball teams run plays to score baskets. When it comes to your doubles game, you can run plays to set up easy put-away volleys and overheads. If you go to tennisfalls.com slash doublesplaybook, Martina Navratilova will personally show you one of her all-time favorite plays called the Prognosticator so you can see if the doubles playbook is right for you. I've used many of the plays from the doubles playbook in my doubles matches and think you should definitely take a look at it if you want to improve your doubles game. Just go to tennisfalls.com slash doublesplaybook to check it out. That's T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S dot com slash doubles playbook to check it out right now. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is Mirabon, and I'm glad that you are here listening to this episode. I've actually been just nonstop working on the Tennis Summit, Tennis Summit 2022. We've got many, many thousands of people who've joined and who are really enjoying this week of online lessons. So it's been super fun, and there's still time to join. If you haven't yet, just go to TennisFileSummit.com. Or check out the link to the show notes or in the show notes page to that page. (laughs) But today we have a fun uh, part two interview with Mike Digby, who if you listen to episode 246 of the podcast, as you'll remember, he talked about his experiences uh, practicing with the top players in the world, such as Roger Federer, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, Rafael Nadal, Simona Halep. Uh, Novak Djokovic, and many more. And Mike currently coaches at the Soto Tennis Academy in Spain. He is a former U.S. collegiate tennis player uh, who graduated, I think, three years ago. So he's relatively young, but uh, he has just garnered a lifetime of experience or a ton of experience playing with amazing players and interacting with their coaching staff and then now coaching at Great Academy. So in this part two, we're going to talk about how Mike prepared for practices with the top pros, the best pieces of advice that he learned from his practice sessions and the people around him there, why it's so difficult to pursue a career on the pro tour and Mike's transitioning or his transition to coaching at Soto Tennis Academy his biggest keys to winning more matches for 3 out of 4 or 5 players, uh, the most important parts of your game that you need to practice more on, uh, how to improve your serve, how to be a problem solver on the court, and much more. 
So with that, let's get into part two of my interview with Mike. And here it is. Great stuff, Mike. Um, and then uh, in terms of like um, friendliest team, just curious, because I know you mentioned that, you know, it's really important that almost more important that the team is is like nice and friendly because obviously, you know, the player can be in their own zone, you know, for the tournament. So uh, do you have like a friendliest team award you want to give out? <laughs> I, I know I keep saying her name, but again, it's only because I I've spent, you know, a number of a number of practices but i love talip's team um all of the team uh i find them really friendly ali Asim, again him and his coach and his his team were were really really friendly so nomio saka's team um in in the earlier days were were really friendly as well so there's there's a lot there's a lot there's there's a lot of teams that, that are pretty friendly but then there's also ones that not that they're not friendly but they're again they're they're working <laughs> That they're working and, and they're looking to try and get 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 a job done, and so you've got to respect that as well. So, yeah, I'd say Simona Alep and, and Ali Asim, uh, their teams are, are good fun to be around and, and nice and friendly. Great, Mike. And then in terms of um, your preparation, because I, I know that you are you know preparing you know just as hard probably as as like you know professional tennis players would, um, you know, taking care of your body and such. So, what was your routine you know i guess you can start from the night before or the morning whichever you you you'd like to choose like to prepare for these practice days i think well relatively similar to when i'm practicing myself you know i think you know get good warm-up in i think if i if i know the team so later down the line if i if i knew the team i knew the player i'd often go up to them in the morning see how they're doing like and just have a general chat and, and and see what's what's going on, what they wanted to do in the practice, anything in particular that they wanted wanted from me. More so again with the teams that I knew pretty well. But yeah, just just the big thing is, and I think that's the biggest thing to make you feel comfortable, especially at these big events. Know what court you're practicing on, be there early, and expect quite a few people to watch, especially when you're with these players. And for me, if I if I was preempted all those things, and I was fine. Like I was actually fine. I remember, I remember there was one time where I was practicing with Halep on Arthur Ashe um, at, at the US Open when she actually played, I warmed her up when she played Taylor Townsend in the second round, when she actually lost in three, I think, Halep. And again, it was my first practice on, on Ash that trip. And the best thing I did, the best thing I did was get there half an hour early and just sit for five, 10 minutes, just taking in the atmosphere with all the, all the media and just I just sat on 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 in the stands for just five minutes just to kind of take it all in, and then I went and did my warm up and everything. So then when I came out, it was it wasn't all of a sudden oh my god wow like it was it was amazing it was an unbelievable experience. But I also felt like because I was there earlier, you know, it it didn't phase me as much. So um, I'd say preparation is more so with dealing with the you know the environment more so than the actual physical warm up. Got it, Mike. Yeah, that's very interesting and very important to note. Um, definitely, you know, if like for example, like when I have a USC match, if I like arrive there like a minute before, and it's definitely uh, not as comfortable as if you get there early and you're able to do your dynamic warm up and such. And I guess speaking of which, like, how about yourself? Like, did you, uh, did you do like foam rolling and dynamic warm ups and like what was your warm up like physically? Yeah, I think I'd so. Yeah, I'd foam roll, I'd stretch, I'd, I'd, you know, do very similar stuff 
a lot of the Theraband stuff um, uh-huh. for half an hour or so beforehand. Um, I actually, and I do this, I only did this not because I was, I was the hitting partner, but I used this a lot when I, I played. I After would always have an ice bath um, because uh-huh. a lot of the time when, when you play and you practice at these events, it's summer wherever. So I was in Australia <laughs> this year and it's obviously their summer. And then I come back here in Spain and it's now coming up summer. So it's hot. You know, most of these places you go to are very, are very hot. So, yeah, I, I always used to, as a player, have a, have an ice bath after I played. So post post match, I would always sorry post practice sorry, I would always um always get in the ice bath because um, again you could be practicing with two or three players. It's three four hours you could be practicing a day, and in in I mean Wimbledon is gets hot, like it gets really hot, and in the U.S. Open incredibly humid in New York. So. Yeah, that's what I normally used to do post-practice. Post gotcha, Mike. And then kind of a random question, I guess, but, you know, when you mentioned, like, it being hot and such, like, I was thinking about hydration. And, you know, you see a lot of players, like, drinking different um, sport drinks or mixes or whatnot. Do you do you have any intel on, like, what any of these <laughs> sports drinks are? Or do you happen to catch any, like, brand names or anything like that or anything? No, I mean, not so much brand names, but they had a lot, obviously, a lot of water. But a lot of electrolytes, mm-hmm. a lot of electrolytes to replenish the fluids lost. And I know some players put salt, salt in their in their drink a little bit because again, you sweat so much, you lose so much salt. So, but yeah, I mean, every player has certain drinks that that they have, and, and um, I know Andy Murray's a big one for it. He 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 takes again the off court bit with with Andy is incredible. He's so detailed. Um, I haven't really practiced with him much at all, but but from what I've heard from a lot of coaches and players, that he's just incredibly detailed with everything. So um, yeah, he's the one that, that you know hydration and fluid fluid intake is really really important. Yeah, for sure. And then in terms of uh, you know uh, getting compensated, that was an interesting part to hear about as well. Like, uh, how did that work for you? And I mean, was it? Do you think it was like a, a decent level of compensation for what you were doing? <laughs> It's tough because I think some events are great. They pay you relatively good money and it's it's right in the event itself pay you. Some will just pay expenses and, and you don't mm-hmm. get a salary. And when you do it individually for the player, you obviously get, you, you charge a certain rate. So it completely depends on the circumstance. But again, I was young when I started doing it, well, like 19 or so. So, I was, if, if people were paying for my expenses and I got this experience to shadow some of the best coaches in the world on tour to hit with yeah. some amazing players and open up so many doors in the tennis world, I'd be silly to, to not, to turn it down. Even if it was, even if it was me doing it for free and then I'm not charging a salary. Like it's, it's one of the best things that I've done. And I, and I will probably continue to say that from, as a, from a coaching perspective, it's opened up so many doors for me. I wouldn't be at Soto Tennis Academy in the south of Spain, doing what I do and, and coaching some top top players, without probably the hitting partner stuff. So, so yes, you don't get compensated enough probably, but yeah, I, I would if I was giving it any advice, don't let that anyone stop them from doing it because you can open up some serious doors in the future. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like getting a you know the best internship you know, internship at the best company exactly. in the world, like Apple or Google or something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and you get exercise too. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) interesting. And, and, um, uh, also like, I just curious about like distinguishing that. So like, let's say if you're like practicing with a player, but it's like, so if the player is the one that says like, I want Mike, so Mm -hmm. then do you get paid by the player or does it have to be like arranged outside of the tournament for you to get your own rate in? Yeah. So, so yeah, if, Normally, if so, let's say a player gives you a call, emails, text, whatever. Look, I want you for this block of tournaments. Then it's normally the agent that deals with it. But you know, then then you would obviously charge your fee um, individually, um, just like a coach, like a physio, whatever, fitness trainer, the same kind of thing. But if if at your employed as such, or, or the tournament itself, you know hires you for, for the two weeks, for the, for the week, whatever, then what they'll give you the, the, the players to practice with. But then a lot of players are superstitious. They have their certain routines that they want to stick by. And if you've given them a good practice on that day, they'll then ask for you back tomorrow, which is what happened a lot early on with me because I went and did it for a few tournaments and, and that's kind of what happened. So, yeah, you have to almost arrange beforehand um, in order to get your own individual salary. Got it, Mike. Got it. Very cool. Were there any particular uh, pieces of advice or like, you know, a memorable quote or something like that, that you got from a player or a coach, you know, during those practice sessions? And if so, what was it? So many like that. It's, it's really hard. I think, I think I spent a lot of time with some, some, some really good coaches and Darren Cahill, Maratoglu, Torben Belts, who's currently coaching Emirata Kani, but I think the one thing, the one thing that when I was younger, again, when I was still playing a little bit, the one message that kept coming across to from a lot of players um, was just be patient, just be patient. Like you know, and and you know, at the time I was still thinking about wanting to try and play a little bit more after college, and I eventually didn't. But yeah, just be really patient. Like if you keep working hard, you keep doing the the right things day in day out then you will have success at whatever level that that is. And I think that then is the exact same message that I've got as a young coach. If I do the right things, I work hard, you know, I, I try and be the best coach I can be day in, day out, then what I aspire to do will happen. It just takes time. You know, it takes time. You need to build up your knowledge base. You need to understand the sport a little bit better. So yeah, I think both from a playing standpoint and a coaching standpoint, patience is, is really, really important. Yeah, hundred percent, uh, Mike. And, and then, um, in terms of your, your journey, uh, to becoming a, well, actually, you know what, before we go into that real quick, you mentioned that you wanted to, um, or you were considering like playing, you know, afterwards and, you know, I've heard you talk about, you know, potentially like, you know, playing in tournaments and stuff, uh, to get, a, mm. you know, go on tour, but like, it's obviously very difficult. So can you walk us through like kind of your, your thought process on whether or not to pursue, you know, uh, a lifestyle on the HP tour and then how, you know, what you were thinking and your decision? Yeah. So I think, so with, with my decision, I, I kind of, in a way had it taken out of my hands. I, you know, I did a lot of the hitting partner stuff over the times I had out in college over the summers you know, and, and still went back to America, got my degree, played played college tennis and, and did all that. And then because I'd done that during college, as soon as I graduated, I then did a lot 
because obviously I didn't have any any you know I wasn't tied to to doing my degree because that was completed and everything. So then I had a, a, a quite a long period where I was just being a hitting partner and, and helping players out and everything. So yeah, from from that point of view, um, it was you know it was it was it was fine. But I think like if that hadn't happened uh, after college, then then yeah, I would have definitely wanted to play. But I think it was almost taken out of my hands because I was enjoying it so much and doing really well with it. And I knew that long term this would open up so many doors. And I wasn't good enough to the point where I could like walk on tour and win futures consistently and get myself up to a ranking where I could really push on. I, I knew that deep down, I knew that. And I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons why I didn't play was because it opened up. And then I really enjoyed adding like and talking to coaches on tour and, and having coaching discussions around certain things that, that kind of ignited that passion that I have for now for coaching at an elite level. And but in regards to advice for, for players, I think look, we the beauty nowadays for me and I and I just I love the route is we have college tennis. And I think we have a couple of players at, at, again at Soto Tennis Academy um that were thinking about playing professionally, you know, young, but we've had the coaches here, Dan Kin, who's the who's the the owner of the academy. He he played at Louisiana State. Um so he has some really good connections and and, and he was also a top player himself. And I think we we all stress because a few of us have gone to college how how good of a route it is. And and again it goes back to the whole idea of being patient. If you can have four years playing at a very, very good level at you know, if you're a very good player at Division One, top Division One school, that's only going to aid your development from from a personal point of view and also from from a, a tennis point of view. So, yeah, that would be my kind of general thoughts around around that. Brilliant, thanks, thanks, Mike. And then, you know, in terms of the transition, I guess, or, or actually, do you still uh, do you ever still like be? Are you still a practice partner at any tournaments, or have you kind of pretty much put that to the side? Uh, look, I. I was a practice partner in in Madrid, in Madrid last year when I hit with yeah with Berrettini, mainly with Berrettini and Alcaraz, and also with 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 Kerber a little bit. So it's not something that I've put aside. I think I I enjoy doing it, and again, like I say, it opens up a lot of opportunities, you know, for my personal development and gives me some amazing experiences to learn from. Again, some very good tennis players and also some incredible coaches. But it's, you know, I would say that the coaching role has probably come a little bit more, you know, dominant in my, in my now, my career. Um, and that is just a natural progression from, you know, being a hitting partner to, to you know, ending up coaching. So that, that is just a, a natural progression that, that this happened. So, 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 yeah. Well, Mike, and then how did you, you know, how did you get into um, Soto Academy? Yeah, so again, it's it's a it's a it's a Wimbledon story. So I was there. I think it was, I think it was twenty nineteen. Yeah, twenty nineteen. And and Evan Hoyt, who who was at the at the academy and has been an integral part of the academy, he was playing. He was playing doubles. Um, he actually ended up making making the quarterfinals of the mixed doubles. And at the time, Dan Dan Kean, and again, who's the academy academy director, um, he was coaching Evan, and I was leaving. I think it was the year where Halep won Wimbledon, 
and I was leaving and Evan was there practicing on the indoor hard course at Wimbledon because he was flying over to, to the US to play some challenges. And US or Canada, I'm, I can't remember which one, but he was definitely going away to play some challenges. And, and uh, the, the practice desk manager said, look, like, would you mind sticking around and practicing with Evan? You know, he's just looking for someone to play a set or, or a couple sets. And I said, yeah, sure, absolutely, no problem. And I ended up doing an hour and a half, two hours with Evan, played some sets and, and obviously got to know Dan, had a good chat with Dan. And, and, and at the time, I actually hadn't heard of the academy, but Dan, like Dan, sold it incredibly well and rightly so because it's an incredible place. And that kind of how that started. And then I'd say maybe three, four months down the line, I saw that uh, a kind of a position came up for to travel with to travel with um, some of the pros at the academy and kind of be, you know, in and around as a as a as traveling coach slash hitting partner. And I always realized living in 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 England in Norwich, especially, it's, it's pr- it wasn't full of opportunities for me. And I did want to try and have a base where I could develop as a coach, develop as a, as a person, and be able to live in in an amazing place like the South of Spain, Soda Grande. And for me at the time, it was it was perfect because it gave me an opportunity to travel with some some very good players that were playing on the ATP tour and, and ITF kind of futures tour, and also gave me a chance to learn some from some incredible coaches at the academy. So so that's kind of how that came about, and and I've been here now for for a couple of years, and I've had some incredible incredible opportunities from from the academy itself. Dan is you know not just a great academy director but a brilliant person has and has allowed me to have some really really good opportunities and, and helped me out a lot along with a lot of a lot of the coaches um nigel beavers to be one carl mays who's the coach ex-coach to kim Kleisters, is now our performance director um a lot of coaches that have that have helped me out and, and helped my knowledge base since since i've been here excellent excellent mike and so um what are some of the ways that you've incorporated you know, what you've learned, you know, throughout your tennis experiences and playing with, you know, the players and, and coaches, uh, how have you integrated that into your coaching philosophy? So I think, I think for me, again, I reiterate the point around keeping things simple, doing the basics really, really well. I've got, I've got three or four years experience being around these players and these coaches and, and understanding their day-to-day habits and understanding what they do well. So I can almost pick out certain players that I've worked with and implement it. So I'm coaching a girl at the moment that's around 150, 200 ITF. She's 16, she's tall. And I always kind of refer to her as like, she's got some Ash Bardi traits and she's got some Sabalenka traits. And I've managed to be on court with, with Sabalenka a little bit. And I've been around Ash Bardi quite a bit. So I think being able to implement what they do well into her game I've got the experience a little bit over the last three or three, four years on talking to their coaches, understanding what they do well. And, and I can, again, rely on those coaches for information as to how they would go about certain things and try and implement that. So the biggest thing for me that I, I value the most is the experience that's experiences that I've had around the coaches. Like I've said, um, that's allowed me to try and start to develop some philosophies. Look, I'm 24 years old, so I'm, I'm very young. So I wouldn't say that my philosophies are, you know, absolutely set in stone, but it's given me a little bit of a head start to, to kind of be around all these coaches and understand what kind of philosophies that work for them and try and tailor that towards me. 
brilliant stuff. And curious, you know, you mentioned, you know, uh, traits or Ash Barty and other players. Like what, I guess, what, what are you trying to implement in, in that particular student's game? And, you know, what are the traits that you, that you think that she has from, from Barty and I think Sabalenka? Yeah. So without going into loads of detail, um, obviously just because, I don't want to give too much away. If people are watching, then they're going to eventually play her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, she she look she slices very well. We're trying to implement her slice into her game, um, and there's certain patterns on the court that we try and put in to set up the forehand. She's very powerful, the player that I coach. So so being able to use use the slice in order to set up the forehand, again being able to be really clear on her serve and ball three patterns so if she's serving wide on the juice court where she's where is she going with her forehand on ball three again same thing on the return what is she looking to do off the return is she maybe looking to use the slice to get the ball low to then again get on the forehand so just being able to like use ash Bardi as a, as a model to then implement her things because obviously we know how good ash Bardi slices and how well she then sets up the forehand um again the player i coach also likes to volley. She comes forward. She's aggressive, aggressive mindset, looking to be proactive. So, and again, it's very similar to Ash. So then I will often watch a lot of Ash's videos and footage on, on, you know, on YouTube and, and watch how she plays and then kind of go, actually, you know what, like you're good at that. So, so how can we implement that into, into your game and how can we use that then as a, again, as a strength to practice, yeah, to, to, to add more bits to, to your game. Brilliant, Mike. And then um, I guess it sounds, you know, because my question is going to be what what uh, level of players do you coach, I guess? I mean, it sounds obviously with this particular um, girl that she's at a very high level, but do you coach like mainly high performance, you know, top ranked players or do you coach like a wider variety? So, so yeah, at the academy we have, we have players that are five years old, just starting out playing all the way up to our, our, our pros in their like mid twenties, early twenties. So I, I am a big believer and I've, and I think I've learned not the hard way, but I think it's been a good eye, eye opener for me that, that actually coaching everyone at the, at, in the first year or two at the time, it was frustrating because I really wanted to work with, with, you know, the, the higher end, but actually I learned so much because you develop communication skills you develop empathy, you develop how to adapt to different players and different groups. So I'm, I really value that. But now I've probably started to develop a little bit more of philosophy and kind of made certain roles my own. I now mainly coach, mainly coach the, yeah, the more performance players um, and, and into the pro game, which is what I, I aspire to do. So I think I've, I've, I've you know, I haven't started out completely like that. And it's not a case of I only coach them. I, I, I help anyone. I think it's a good trait as a coach to help anyone that steps on the tennis court. But I think I would say that I've kind of, yeah, kind of migrated into that role of being more of that performance coach, um, over the, especially over the last six to eight months. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Got it. Got it. And do you coach uh, by any chance any like club level players or, you know, other words like like, you know, adults who are like three, three fives to four fives? I, I have done in the past. Yeah. Um, when I again, when I first started out to kind of, you know, develop some skills. I have done, yeah. Um, and I've learned just as much from from them as I have being on court with Roger Federer. You know, it's it's a, mm-hmm. just a different type of learning. So, yeah, I, I, I value those moments just as much. Gotcha, Mike. Yeah, I just asked that because most of our audience is in that range, uh, the 3-0 to mm-hmm. 4-5, I think. So I guess my, my next question is, what what are some of the biggest you know, mistakes that amateur players, either you can pull from the, um, you know, adult club level or, you know, juniors, uh, what are the biggest mistakes that they make? And, you know, maybe give us like three of them or so, and they can be again, you know, technical, t- uh, tactical, mental, um, physical, anything from those realms. I think, I think the big one, and this is something that I've learned and I learned the hard way as a player is, is the word unforced error. Like the the game, the game. Yeah. You know, when you're a, a club level player or, or or a junior, you often lose matches because you just leak way too many errors. And again, that goes back to the to the idea of just being really, really good at the basics. Now, and I always say this, and one of the coaches at the academy always used to say to me that it's not a tactic to get the ball in the court; it's a rule. The rule is you have to get the ball between the white lines in order to give yourself a chance of winning the point. It's not a tactic. You don't decide whether or not you do it every now and again. So one of my biggest biggest bits of advice is is just try and reduce the unforced error count. You know, try and be as consistent as you can. And when I say consistent, that means consistent to the game style you want to play. So if I'm a club level player and I love my forehand and, and I want to try and be a bit more aggressive because I'm a bit taller, I'm strong, then be really consistent at being able to hunt the forehand down. Or if I'm maybe you know a little bit smaller and I'm a bit more scrappy and I like to stay behind the baseline, be really consistent at hitting with really good depth to keep your opponent from attacking you. So that would be my be my first first one. I think the other one, which which I also would think is something that isn't practiced enough, and, and that is the serve and return. And I think at the end of the day, if you can't serve and return, you can't play tennis because you can't start the point off. And I think it's something again that, that isn't practiced. We all we all step on the tennis court and the first thing we do is hit 50, 60, 70, 80 balls up and down the middle. Yet in a match, you would never hit 50, 60, 70, 80 balls up and down the middle. So, so I've often, I've often with some of the, the club level players that I coached before is, is we might do literally two minutes, one minute of hitting balls, and then we might literally go straight into 20 minutes of serving. Um, and I even, as a player that I coach at the moment, where we sometimes haven't even hit any balls to warm up after the physical warm up, he's gone straight into implementing some volley patterns, serving volley patterns. So I think that will be my other other one. Put a lot of emphasis on on trying to develop the the serve and return because if you can, 
if you get really good at you know being an effective server and returner you're going to be very very hard to beat yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean especially the the returns i think that's really not practiced much um but yeah the server as well obviously arguably the most important shot in the game and you know as far as like the serve do you have any um tips for us kind of a similar question which is like maybe the top one or two you know things that players need to improve upon the most on their serve technique yeah so so for me there's there's two there's two anchors there's two things that that i always look at when when i'm trying to develop a serve and again you know, I'm I'm young, so I'm still learning um, daily on on the technical aspects. It's the most technical shot the serve because it's the most it's the one that could go wrong the most because there's so many bio, biomechanical biomechanical aspects that you have to consider. But the two things that I look for is the ball toss, and then also the hip drive. So with the ball toss, are they releasing the ball at eye height? Because if you release it. Before eye height, the ball is going to go too far out front. If you release it above eye height, you're going to end up throwing the ball behind you. So if you can really focus on releasing the ball at eye height, you're going to have a ball toss, which is pretty consistent. And then with the hip drive, how well do they get their back hip loaded to then really fire the back hip to then finish over the, fr over the front hip? Again, mm -hmm. to really create that vertical drive. So, so those are the two things that, that I would look out for straight away. Now, obviously, there's lots of different aspects of the serve from a technical point of view, which, which is, is, you know, is vital to be a good server. But, but from, again, if we, from a club level point of view, can you really feel like that you load your back hip on the serve to create the vertical drive? And can you release the ball at eye height? Love it. Yeah, thanks. Those are really important tips that I think everybody will benefit from. Really appreciate that. And then is there anything in your coaching philosophy? I know I asked a similar question about like your, you know, being a practice partner and your philosophy there, but anything in your coaching philosophy or approach as well that you've, uh, that you've changed throughout the years that, you know, and I know you're young, but anything that you've changed that maybe other coaches might want to look out for as well. I think the one thing that I've learned the hard way um, is just say less at times just mm -hmm. say less you know i think coaches are often are often you know and again i'm completely you know guilty of this but often just talking too much you know we, there's certain things that actually if we give players a chance they figure out they figure out so if they're missing the ball when they're looking to transition down the line i think we're almost instantly in there to kind of like do well actually just give them a chance give them give them three four more see if they figure it out because often what i've found over the last couple of years is actually, you know what, they'll end up coming to you going, ah, those last few, the first few, I felt like I, you know, I let the ball drop too much. I didn't take it, you know, at the peak. Whereas the, the few after, after I figured that out, I took it earlier and got my contact point out in front. And I, you know, I, I was, did a lot better. And so I haven't had to say anything. Uh, I've just, I've just observed that and, and we're ready to say something if needed. But I think we've got to, you know, as coaches, we often are guilty of talking way too much. And, and, and you know, players players are smart. Players are normally pr pretty smart and, 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 you know, they're switched on. Yeah, for sure. And I can re can't remember, this is uh, Emma Doyle or Jonathan Stoke, who I, uh, Stokey, who I interviewed, but they mentioned like the, you know, the approach of just, you know, asking the player 
rather than giving them all these directives, like, cause then you improve like their ability to problem solve, which is what they're going to need anyway, exactly. you know, when they're not, yeah. When they're not with the coach or not allowed to, you know, consult with the coach. Um, yeah. I so think it's, it's brilliant. independence. You have to, you have, to, and this is in, in, in all levels of the game. I think you have to, you have to teach independence. Like, again, it goes back to my idea around, around tennis being like a game of chess, like no one else is making the move for you. You've got to be able to have lots of different tools in your toolbox, but then also be able to pick the right tool for the right job. And I think that's the, the one of the hardest things as, as, as a tennis player, being to be able to understand what you need to do and when. Uh, but that is often taught through players figuring it out from themselves and, and, and learning from their own mistakes. Right, right. And how do you adjust? I mean, you mentioned like, especially in the beginning, have to uh, having to coach like all these different levels. Um, but um, yeah, how do you adjust? Because, you know, one of the most important things that I've heard from many coaches, and I think you mentioned too, is just like the ability to um, adapt to like who you're coaching rather than just having like one set you know, plan or, or way to go about things for like every single player that you have, we're all, all have different needs. So how, what's, what's a tip to being able to adapt to d- depending on which player you're, you're coaching? Yeah. So a couple of things. And I think one feeds into one of my, which I believe one of my key strengths, and that's again, building relationships and connection with the player. You need to know your player. <laughs> you need to know what, what they're good at. You need to know, what they're not so good at. You need to know what they like. You need to know how they like to be communicated to. You need to just understand what the player needs. And I think if you do, then naturally, if you can connect and build those relationships, you're going to adapt your vocabulary that you use. You're going to understand what they like to hear, what they don't like to hear, when they like to be spoken to, when they don't. I know with some players that if they are a little bit peed off, I'm going to leave them for a few minutes. I know, but then with other players, I know that I'm still okay to talk to them because they're, they're still receiving information. So, so that would be my one big one is, is build that relationship connection and understand what the player needs. And then my, my other one would be more so around know your sport. Just get really good at knowing the sport, understand what the sport entails. And, and, I'm, and this is probably more so coming up from more of a performance level, but I know what, or I'm much better knowledgeable now at what uh, a 16-year-old that's 150 ITF needs with the game, that particular game style because I've watched a lot of tennis. I think coaches, and, and again, I'm absolutely guilty being, being a young coach, is I think we often deliver lots of information without actually watching any tennis. Like Dan Evans watches so much tennis. Like so much tennis, and and that's almost his coach. YouTube is a coach. Go on, and I think as as coaches, and and I I'm I'm passionate about the sport. I love the game, so I naturally watch anyway. But if I'm unsure on on maybe you know what does Ash Barty like to do when she's wide on her backhand, and I know that my players, I know that she slices well, and I know that my player slices well. I'm gonna watch. 20 minutes footage of Ash Barty getting out wide to a backhand and look, look at what she does. So just, I think that then helps then adapt your ability to coach different players because you've then seen it, you know, in video footage. And again, this is tailored a little bit more to the, the performance based side of it. Um, so yeah, know the personality and know the person and then know the sport. Brilliant. Awesome. Great stuff, Mike. 
And just kind of to shift the topic slightly, but I was wondering if you could give us any recovery tips for, um, you know, whether it's competitive juniors or, you know, competitive adult players, like maybe like a basic routine that they should follow, you know, right after they practice or right after they play a match. Um, that would be helpful. Yeah. So I think foam roll, like as soon as you finish your practice or your, or your match, like get the foam roller out, try and loosen off the muscles. Um, make sure you stretch. <laughs> Stretching is, is so important. Taking care of the body is, is vital. Um, uh, yeah. And, and there's certain areas in certain players which might be you know, a little bit weaker. So it might be that some players naturally their calf, their left calf gets really tight or whatever it might be. So just really working on specific areas that you know that you're developing from a physical standpoint a little bit more. And then food is vital. Like getting the right amount of, of, of food in the body and the right food in the body is is is, is so important. Um, making sure that, you know, you've, you've recovered from a physical standpoint, but then also with the food. And, and the biggest thing for me, which isn't done enough as 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 tennis players is reflect mm. reflect so i get with 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 the player that i coach at the moment and with all the a lot of the players that i've i've been involved with is at the end of the day i'll get them to send me through through a voice note or or a little summary of how they felt their day went whether that's during a tournament whether that's during a practice of right what did you do well today what could you have done a little bit better and what's the focus for tomorrow just your ability to reflect on those days because sometimes days roll into weeks, roll into months where actually we haven't realized that we're not really going anywhere because we haven't reflected on the areas that maybe we need to work on a little bit more. So, um, yeah, so I would say physical recovery, food and reflect. Got it. Those are, those are fantastic, Mike. Really appreciate that. And in terms of, um, I guess your, you know, future, projects or or anything like that goals like uh, i'm curious what those might be yeah it's a great question <laughs> great question for for a young person um look i've i have aspirations to to be one the best possible coach i can be <laughs> to be the best person i can be and i think that's that's in reality you know from from my own my own you know career standpoint if i can work as just as hard as all of the players I coach to to make them as, as as good as possible. And that's not just as a tennis player, as a person as well. That's something at the at, at the academy we're really big on is making them better people. So from that standpoint, that's a big one for me, just just developing, just constantly learning and developing. You know, I speak to a lot of senior coaches that are 50, 60 years old and they're always saying, I'm still learning now. Because the game always evolves. So, so just being able to learn is a big one. My aspirations from a career standpoint, I, 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 you know, I aspire to try and coach at a professional level. I think that's something that I've, I've always wanted to do since, since I've started coaching and, and something that I hold, hold highly. And, and, and that's what I, I strive to do. You know, every player is vitally important to my development. And, and I thank all the players that I've coached as much as I thank all the coaches that have taught me. But um, yeah, I'd say, my big aspiration would be to to coach on the on on the tour. Oh, wait, I, I know you're on the, uh, the right track, and with all the connections you've you forged, um, you know, knowledge you've you're accumulating, I'm sure that'll happen for you, Mike. Um, and, and then in terms of um books, you know, I'm not sure how voracious of a, a reader you are, but uh, I was wondering if you could 
you know, name three books that you would give a friend to help them improve their tennis game? It's a great question. I, I have read quite a few books. So the ones that I would probably recommend would be Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert. I think, again, we go down the competitor route, like matches, uh, and I know I'm going more performance level here, but matches are one, are one through being an unbelievably good competitor. You know, when, I, when, we, when we say the name Rafa Nadal, a lot of people say warrior, like the bull, you know, like fighter, nothing to do with his tennis, to do with him. Him, him is this raw competitor. Um, so, yeah, Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert would be one. I actually think Nadal's autobiography is a really good one to, to read. He, as, as any tennis player, as, as a recreational tennis player, as a performance player, uh, I think that's, yeah, it's really, really a really interesting read, not because you learn so much about Nadal's story, but you learn about him as a person and, and how potentially you could implement those certain things as, as a player. And I, I, look, those would be the two main ones from a tennis standpoint. But I think that any, any autobiographies of any professional athletes, I think are so vital because they, they all deliver very similar messages. I've read Stephen Gerrard's autobiography. Oh, yeah. I've read Johnny Johnny Wilkinson, the rugby player. I've read Eddie Hall, the um, uh, oh, what's it, the, uh, the weightlifter or, or the uh, oh. world's strongest man, world's strongest oh, man. Oh yeah, Got it. yeah. Got it. Again, completely different, completely different background to 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 Rafa Nadal, but the the, the core of the message around the hard work, the dedication, the discipline um still stands so um yeah those would be some some recommendations very nice yeah steven jared a great liverpool player and current uh aston villa uh manager here uh just Absolutely. who might not know um not in football i guess uh if you're not in football but uh brilliant and i guess um let's see i was trying to think in terms of like uh you know next steps like for players like i i guess in terms of like if they want to be more consistent because you mentioned like um being more consistent being a warrior like i know it's you know obviously we we want to tell ourselves that uh we need to do these things but how do you actually develop consistency how do you and how do you develop uh, becoming you know a warrior so that you can actually really be a great competitor I think my one big thing, and, and I'll go down the avenue of more of like the mental side of the game, because I think that's a, something that, again, isn't talked about enough and, 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 and worked on enough. I think a lot of it is around the idea of accepting these emotions and tolerating the emotions that, that, that you know, you feel during a match and, you know, being able to, to understand and normalize frustration, anger, mm. happiness, sadness like all of these emotions that happen in a roller coaster in a match at any level like it doesn't matter whether you're a six-year-old playing a little tournament in the park or you're Raf Nadal playing in the final of the French Open you're all going to experience these these uncomfortable thoughts and feelings that come on board so for me to be able to develop the mental toughness aspect and it goes along the lines of being able to manage and accept these emotions that come come on board and then being able to then still perform feeling angry, frustrated, happy, sad, or whatever. And the best tennis players in the world are able to do that under pressure. So 
being able to understand which emotion you're feeling and 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 allow that to be there then if we're doing that then we're often, we're most likely in the present moment and tennis is played in the present moment you have to be in the present moment in order to be able to be consciously thinking about what you're doing so just having a good awareness of of your thoughts and feelings for me develops mental mental toughness brilliant love that thanks mike and then where can um people go to learn more about you, whether that's, you know, socials or a website or anything like that? Yeah. So my, my social media, uh, yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Uh, it's a, it's a big one. Uh, I often post where I'm at, what I'm doing, where I'm in the world, who I'm coaching. So I think that's a nice, a nice one to follow if, if people are interested. And then on Soto Tennis Academy's Instagram as well, we often have lots of lots of coaching videos um, by myself and, and other coaches at the academy, which is lots and lots of tips on all aspects of the game, um, technical, tactical, physical, mental. Um, and I'm often often on, on their page talking about certain things as well as some other brilliant coaches that we, that we have at the academy. So, yeah, I would say for my journey, um, my Instagram and for, for who I work for and, and who I represent is in Swallow Tennis Academy there their Instagram pages. Great. And then, um, we're going to have the links to, you know, um, the books as well as, um, you know, sort of tennis Academy and, and you on the website, uh, or the, the show awesome. notes page, but just, just for, um, the listeners to uh, hear it, um, in audio form, what's your handle on, uh, on Instagram? It's at Mike Digby with two Y's. Got it. Got it. Okay, good. Yeah. That's what I remember. Excellent. Um, great stuff, Mike. Well, I, you know, really enjoy this conversation. Um, really appreciate your time and just want to ask you one last question, which is, um, what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? Ah, great question. Million dollar question. Bit cliche, but work hard. (laughs) Any, again, any level doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you're a beginner, doesn't matter whether you're a pro just keep working hard keep trying to get better and you 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 just you will you will tennis tennis is a is a simple sport if you do the basics really well and i think just keep working hard keep looking to to improve and and never never lose the enjoyment in the game got it love that mike um and any um you know last comments or anything that you know i might have missed that you want to just bring up today oh i think i think look i my one, my one big thing is I enjoy telling my journey. I think everyone's got their own journey in every aspect of whatever they're doing in their lives. And I think my one big thing that I've said on, on a lot of the podcasts that I've, I've been on is, is don't think that if you're not this amazing tennis player that you can't achieve big things in the sport. I think that's the often misconception with, with younger players is, oh, I'm not very good, so I'm just going to stop playing tennis. I'm going to stop. No, like the sport has so much to offer, whether that's a hitting partner, whether that's coaching, whether that's commentating, whether that's being a physio for a, for a player, you know, whether it's working in grassroots aspects of, of the sport and having a massive impact on, on, on the younger generation. I think, you know, the sport has so much to offer. And I think my, my big bit of advice to, to all, all younger players is, like, you know, just keep working hard and keep, you know, having fun and enjoying the sport because, yes, I haven't been a 
I haven't been a professional tennis player, but I've had some incredible opportunities to practice with some incredible tennis players and coach some, you know, elite level players in a young career. So um, hopefully that that can help help other players that that are in the same boat. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, so lifelong sport. There's not many that you can keep playing until you're, you know, like in your 90s, which I've I've seen many of them play. Uh, and just you know all the connections. Like I've I've got you know jobs through tennis, and I'm continue to enjoying it through the podcast. It's speaking with uh, great people like yourself. So, um, yeah, many opportunities, uh, many ways to keep enjoying the sport. It's a great one. So definitely want to mm-hmm. keep everybody involved who's listening. So, uh, with that, Mike, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing your really cool experiences, both um, you know, as a player uh, and you know as a coach. So thanks for coming on and looking forward to connecting again soon yeah and no, i really appreciate it um thanks for having having me on and uh, yeah it's been good fun thanks a lot cheers all right i really hope that you enjoyed my interview with mike digby mike thanks again for coming on to the show and i'm glad that we could do a part two here for you all and if you did enjoy this episode and if you enjoy the tennis files podcast i'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the show and you can do that by going to tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts with an S at the end. Or just hit the review button in your podcast app of choice that you do to listen to the show. We just find that uh, Apple Podcasts is the biggest mover of the show in terms of um, the rankings and exposure and whatnot. So, uh, but I appreciate your feedback, uh, however you can give it to me. All right. Thanks for that. And I would like to leave you with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Zig Ziglar. And Zig said, there is no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs. What a great quote that is. So true. Uh, Thank you, Zig. And also, once again, if you're listening to this during the same week that this podcast episode came out, uh, then go to TennisFilesSummit.com or go to the show notes page and click on Tennis Summit 2022. There's still time to join and watch uh, all the fantastic sessions for free, which is pretty sweet. Uh, And there's an upgrade option as well for lifetime access, but totally up to you. So with that, thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is Mirabhan Aranchad signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.